Welcome to the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge, and in the studio virtually with me again this week is my old buddy from Texas, Haney Mahmood, uh, fine Texas law enforcement instructor and uh, longtime lawman. So, uh, oh, sponsor message. Yeah. Honorary sponsor this week again for episode two is going to be EDC Belt Company, the most comfortable, functional, concealed carry belt on the market. Sometimes when I say that, I kind of feel like the uh, the old hair club guy. I'm not just a founder, no, <laughs> but uh, I really do wear one every day, and I think they're a great belt and uh, it's a great company as well. So without further ado, we'll bring in our guest. Oh, you don't notice a little bit of the ambiance music. I uh, managed to lay that down all by myself about five minutes before we started recording. I broke out the guitar and amplifier and uh, just laid a little ambient music down, something uh, something to kind of lead us off. So if you don't like it, send me a message and I'll take it away. All right. All right, Hanny. You there, buddy? Sure. Oh, there you I'm are. Here. Excellent. It's been like four four whole days since we did this and the last one went really well didn't require too much uh, trickery and editing well i know nothing about the, the trickery well i didn't until about f- 45 minutes after we recorded i went back and uh had to call parking upon some of my old musical talent and get into an editing program and you know get rid of the errs and oohs and ahs sure you did a good job at it. it it worked out well it made it flow nicely but uh, i think we lost 35 minutes of a 55 minute podcast <laughs> no it wasn't that bad at all oh man it's been a long week so you're back to work you're back on the range teaching uh yeah we are uh everything is back in full swing uh cadet in service agencies that are performing their own training on our range babysitting on those days as i call it but in a nice way so yeah everything is in back to um, normal pre-COVID operations, except for that everyone needs to have a mask on, certain exceptions. Right. Yeah. Up here, it's hard to tell from day to day, that whole restrictions and masks and whatnot. It kind of seems to uh, change at the whims of our elected officials. So aside from that, yeah, I had a long day at the range uh, Sunday, actually. Guy, a friend of mine up here hosted me for a private class of uh nine people and had a rather wide skill set in it so it was uh it was we'll just say it was challenging uh, a, a wide skill set that that is a that is a very diplomatic way to describe a challenging class yeah skill set disparity i am i think from from now on i'm gonna have i'm gonna have in place some uh a little more stringent criteria and by stringent i mean Show up with a holster that fits your gun. <laughs> and if you're left-handed, have a left-handed holster that fits your gun. I mean, you know, just th- <laughs> things that you and I take for granted that... Uh, you no, know, I-, I haven't had that one happen yet. So uh, get uh, ready. The, the wrong-handed holster one. It's when you think you've seen it all. Uh, yeah, that... that uh, what's that guy's name? Murphy. He comes along with a with a leather glove and just, just gives it to you right in the kisser. That and then... Uh, something that it, this is just a side note this isn't like uh bashing on any particular company or anything like that but if you're going to put a reduced weight striker spring in your name brand pistol it's probably a good idea what's that 
I said, perhaps test it first. Test it, yes. You, you took the word, like, at least make <laughs> sure that the primers go pop when you pull the trigger. I was like, uh, let's see. We got a roll here. So I literally, I had to pause the class and go, anybody got another striker-fired gun, a backup gun here with them? And luckily, I had I had several people in the class that, as you like to refer to it as, had a harem of guns with them. So... <laughs> we got him squared away pretty quickly. And I, I kind of felt bad for the guy. Cause it, it was obvious. Like he thought, well, if I do this, I'm going to shoot better tomorrow. Yeah. And then, but Hey, you know, we, we've all made mistakes and, and it, it was a better place to learn it there than, you know, at the local stop and Rob an hour later. That, that does sound like a, a full day. It was, uh, it was challenging, but, but I got through it, you know, there was even with the large skill set disparity there, everybody made massive, massive improvements. And the guys that I actually had like three repeats come through the class and all of them, all but one of them outshot me on my final exercise. And oh, wow. Yeah. And it was kind of one of those deals. You know, I mean, I, I put I still put in a fair amount of range time, but um, I really I didn't want to like get up there and really push the envelope too hard. So I said, here, I'm going to demonstrate this drill and your whole goal is to shoot it clean. And I said, I'm going to go at a pace that I know, like I'm well within my comfort zone. Another guy steps up and I said, the rest of you guys turn the, you know, shoot it clean. But if you feel like challenging yourself and the first guy out of the gate, just slapped me right in front of the class and i went all right that's exactly right and he did the most classy thing i've ever seen he turns around and goes i've been to his class twice this is the first time i've ever shot it clean in the class excellent i just happened to shoot it a smidge faster and he goes what i'm getting at is pay attention uh, I, I was like it was kind of one of those like flattering moments i was like hey, I don't yeah know what yeah. to say but and then the next guy got up and did it and i was like all right guys come on give me a break, <laughs> like ease up on me a little but but uh but no it was good that was, was that was the probably the best time of the day uh we'd gotten through all the warm-up stuff and got to that so so anywho being the off-duty on-duty podcast consulting with uh mr jacob from concealedcarry.com guy who's hosting this podcast and and doing all the behind the scenes work on it i can't throw enough shout outs to him for that he posed a question for us this week and said hey cover three things that we find kind of acceptable in the concealed carry gun toting civilian community that the law enforcement community kind of wishes we'd stop or does wish we'd stop or begging us to stop so you and i pitched back and forth and the first one we came up with i'll let you go ahead and say it ah uh, let's see uh, now i'm having a senior moment Open so, carry. First one, open carry. Thank you. So, open carry. We know a lot of people that train with us and that come out to, we see it matches or we see it different things. Right. And they talk to us about open carry. They are often surprised that almost, almost universally, it seems like those of us involved in law enforcement and training think that that's a, a suboptimal idea. Suboptimal. That's a diplomatic way of putting bad idea. <laughs> you learn that once you put on rank. So that, that that's something I learned years ago. Yeah. For me, you know, Oklahoma a couple a couple years ago passed the uh, uh, 
uh, the constitutional carry, permitless carry, and open carry all within like six months. So we went from, I wouldn't say a restrictive state, but fairly non-restrictive when it came to the permit process. But the permit, there was there was a lot of legislation in there that you could really get tripped up quick. So they 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 basically just took all the all the reins off of it and allowed for open carrier rifles and pistols and shotguns and I mean the the parameters were really not that uh not that restrictive at all which I don't being a constitutional conservative myself I I don't have a problem with the concept I have a problem sometimes with the execution I um I agree with you you know the the, the position being a a constitutional one or a, a libertarian one right. is one that I I, I, I endorse, just like with freedom of expression, a great deal of responsibility. The fact that you have a right to do something is something I will defend. Sometimes I think its application is, is not really well thought through. Misguided. Yeah. 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 And I'm not going to toddle off into examples too much, but, you know, to me, okay, you're having a 2A rally at the Capitol and everybody shows up armed. Yeah. Okay, we know that's going to, that we know that's going to be part of it, you know, and it's, it's kind of a display of like, I, I don't even really hesitate to say unity, but it's, it's kind of like, Hey, look, we're, we're all different races, genders, and, you know, religions and backgrounds. And here we are. And we, we all share, you know, we all enjoy this, this freedom and these gun rights and okay, cool. It's a, it's a, it's a great display of being an American. When you walk into your local dine and dive cafeteria at 9 a.m. during senior hour and you have an AR-15 slung on your back, it's kind of one of those things that I look at that I go, just because you can doesn't necessarily mean you should. Because at that point, it, it what do the kids call it? They call it a flex. Ah, that, that's, that, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I think, I think Brian, we should divide those this category into two. The one being where it, it is obviously strictly something that is meant to make a point, like uh, carrying a long gun in public to show that you can. Right. I think that that's one category of open carry, where I, I unless they really think that that's tactically advantageous, I think most of them are just trying to make a point. It's um, a, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's a statement. Yeah, it's a statement. But the second category would be people who are just carrying a pistol. For, for self-defense, as, as we all do, but choosing to uh, carry it openly. So I kind of split those two up because they both kind of have a different motivation, I think. Right. Uh, and I'll back up a little bit in history. You know, 20 years ago, when I was assigned it at uh, Fort Bragg, the area, the state back then was an open carry state. So it was really odd that, you know, if I went shopping in one of the rural communities, sometimes we would work, you know, desk duty till three or four in the morning and I'd have to go off post to do something. And there were a lot of 24 hour places because there's a lot of shift work around a military installation. And, you know, I might go into one of the local shopping grocery stores and I always kind of stayed in the rural area and it wasn't uncommon to see somebody toting a pistol through there at three o'clock in the morning, just doing their their business. You went into downtown Fayetteville and that was kind of a taboo thing. I mean, it it was almost, so it it was kind of rooted in like, what type of community do you live in? Is it urban? Is it rural? Is, you know, is it a farming community? 
And, and it was kind of like that in Oklahoma back in the 80s when I was growing up. There wasn't a lot of restriction on like transporting long guns in the rural communities because farmers right. and ranchers, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't a taboo thing. If you parked your your truck in downtown Oklahoma City and had a long gun and a rifle rack, it brought attention to you. And they unwound the legislation to kind of reflect how it was back in the uh, back in the seventies and eighties, where there really wasn't a whole lot of restriction on that. And, yeah. it, and even when there was, it wasn't uncommon to see it in rural areas. So, so yeah, I think you're right. I think you, you you chalk that up into two categories: people that are you know making a statement, and people that maybe haven't been trained how to concealed carry. Something, something to that effect, or, or yeah, absolutely. I think uh, sometimes it's it's lack of training, but you know, I, I try not to be uh, you know preachy on a subject because uh, they may be well trained, but that 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 is a, a deliberate choice that they are making, and I, I've seen that several times. My my issue with it, and li- likely yours too, is that you know as you are making your way through the world, doing whatever it is that we're doing every day we come across a, a, a threat to us, our family, or to somebody near to us or close by to us, or we just happen to be in the middle of it. I kind of feel like, you know, one of the few advantages that we have is surprise. We aren't wearing our body armor. We do not have radio communications at the push of a button. And lots of other things. So one of the, you know, few things going for that moment is surprise. And um, and we see that in, in uh you know, usually when it's uh, security footage, obviously rather than dash cam footage, robberies and things like that that occur, mm-hmm. uh, usually the first that the bad guy notices that he is going to be engaged is when the pistol is up, out, and firing. And I think that's a tremendous advantage to just simply hand away. Yeah, I do as well. And the way our legislation was originally crafted here in Oklahoma, at least, you know, you could be concealed carrying and somebody see your gun and it could technically be a civil violation of the of the concealed carry yeah. act. Back I'm talking back three, four years ago. You know, you, you you drop your wallet and you bend over in Walmart and somebody calls the police. Now I don't know that there was anybody ever cited for that. It was kind of one of those that you go, eh, this guy's got a concealed carry permit there. But Again, it could interrupt your daily shopping experience to have to talk to a friendly law enforcement officer and explain to him, oh, yeah, I'm legal to carry a gun. Yeah, that that whole option kind of got taken off, taken away. So and by option, I mean, option for civil or criminal prosecution was was done, done away with. And there again, I think it was because. I don't think anybody had ever been cited for it. And and if they were, they were such extreme cases that they probably needed to be. And it wouldn't have mattered if they were concealed carrying or not. So, oh, so yeah, yeah, this is a deep, man, this whole open carry thing is a real deep rabbit hole. I've got a, I've got a little aside personal story. Uh, You know, in Oklahoma, there's a lot of private ranch land and different things, you know, hunting land that, you know, you go talk to the local farmer and, He's having a feral hog problem and, you know, you go knock on his door and say, hey, just spotted some feral hogs in your pasture and it's okay with you. I'd like to go, uh, you know, engage them with uh, lethal force, whatever. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I, I had a dear friend of mine that we had, we had gone to a couple of places and he's like, the, the ranchers were like, no, not today. Come back tomorrow. And they would look at me and not him. And I was like, oh, okay. And finally, I look over, and dude's got a SIG 220 on his hip. And I'm like, hey, bro, 
put that under, you know, just take it off and yeah, yeah. put it, you know, leave it in the truck or, or, or put your shirt over it. And the very yeah. next one we go to, the guy looks us both over and goes, you know, I introduced myself. We exchanged pleasantries and he said, Oh yeah, go ahead. And I said, I think what's happened here is just the image that just the perception that these rural community people had of you. Okay. We're from the city and we want to come hunt and you're decked out in your tactical belt. And I'm yeah. in, I'm in blue jeans and a t-shirt and they look at you and go, this could be a problem. And they look at me and go, okay, he seems all right. And I went back and talked to a couple of those people later. And that was exactly what they said. Yeah. You know, you're a great guy, but your buddy over there was kind of intimidating. That's uh that's an interesting, um, that's an interesting, um, reveal as they say, you going back and talking to them. Yeah. Finding and, out, you know, what you suspected turned out to be what it was. Yeah. And, and, and I went back to a couple of these ranchers places and said, Hey man, the other day I had my buddy with me and you know, I didn't want you to feel like we were trying to take over, you know, cross mm-hmm. the fence and, and do a bunch of shooting over here. And, and both of them that gave us the rejection when he mm-hmm. kind of had his open carry rig on go, well, he was decked out in some gear. And I just thought maybe he was one of those, like one of those guys that's going to go dump a machine gun out here and, and, mm-hmm. and leave. And I thought, okay, now I know him well and he wasn't, but it was just the appearance that that gave initially. Now, I mean, I had my, my favorite pistol tucked into my jeans and had, you know, and a holster and inside the waistband holster and had my shirt over it and they were none the wiser. The point being, it just, it was off putting enough that they weren't comfortable with it. So, and, and both of them said the exact same thing. It was like, well, you know, your buddy looked like he was ready to go to afghanistan yeah. or something and you know so. and well that might not have been an accurate portrayal of him that is their take on it so yeah valid, you know yeah so so you know i mean that's just food for thought and and i kind of a lot of times in law enforcement especially when i'm talking to newer people i kind of go hey i want you to turn the tables here and imagine that somebody's coming into your house to fix your problem how would you perceive them if they acted this way or they talked this way or they, you know what I'm just kind yeah. of take it from the other perspective. And, and, and that's been a pretty successful technique for me, but, and I'm sure you as well. You know, another thing that occurs to me is uh, you brought up kind of what, what the locale is, you know, mm-hmm. such as, uh, is it, is it rural or not? And um, the other thing that goes hand in hand with that for me is historically, um, how did, you know, what was the law and how did people conduct themselves in that area? Right. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I did a, a good bit of my, um, you know, late teen growing up and um, college and so on in Arizona. And Arizona, this would be the mid-1980s on, Arizona was a, an open carry state before that was, I don't know, like a, like a term that people bandied about. So in Arizona at the time, there was no concealed, hand, there was no measure there was no statute there was no way for concealed carry outside of law enforcement essentially and the thing was is that even at the time in the uh in the main part of the state which referred to it as the valley which was the phoenix area a phoenix tempe mesa chandler gilbert scottsdale glendale it's all a big thing and um even there you would see people open carry right and that was because it was arizona and people were used to it. And I, 
I remember seeing it in the supermarket in the middle of the day, and it didn't seem to spook anybody. To, to use, you know, to use a, to give credit to Masada Yub, who, who used to use the phrase uh, "Don't frighten the horse." Yeah, uh, it did. It, did, it didn't frighten the horse, but I don't know what it's like now in Arizona. I know that they have they have a concealed handgun law and so on, and I and I believe they also have open carry. But I don't know how common it is. I do know that back then it was common and it didn't seem to scare anybody or yeah. or set off any any alarm bells in people's heads. Occasionally people would be visiting from out of state and they might look and kind of feel a little bit spooked. And then if they said something to somebody, somebody would go, oh, no, no, the, you know, this is Arizona and you, know, you can do that and it's all good. Well, so I, I think kind of like the locale and when they started talking about it in Texas, my opposition to it was that, you know, we never had open carry here. Right. You know, yeah, it, it wasn't it, it wasn't a commonly accepted thing. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't part of the fabric of like the gun culture here it, in another state that it was. I I think that that's m- much more acceptable. So that that's the one thing. And then the, my other concern, obviously, is that I, I just don't think it's tactically sound. Yeah. And when when it first launched here, when there was first talk of it, a, a lot of uh a lot of my fellow fellow working compatriots there had some heartache with it. I remember having the conversation about, you know, hey, when I, when I was in North Carolina, it was an open carry state. And if you got caught carrying a gun with your shirt over it and you didn't have a permit, you got in trouble. Yep. It was the weirdest, like, it was kind of, I hesitate to say backwards, but a lot of the municipalities had municipal citations like brandishing a firearm, to intimidate the public like i'm gonna put a gun on be be billy jack in the in the the local pub or whatever you know what i'm saying dating ourselves yeah right you know and uh so so it 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 had some amount of of temperament to it so to speak um it's funny you mentioned arizona my dad uh when he was he was riding motorcycles my dad who we both we both know (laughs) He says, he says, man, I got back from this motorcycle trip and he's, he was a cop and, and, uh, there was no HR 218 back then, but nobody really cared if you were a cop and carrying a gun. It was just kind of a, you know, there was a couple of States that were unfriendly, but there wasn't an HR 218. So yeah. he says, I'm riding motorcycles and this, this guy pulls up next to me in a gas station on a, just this tricked out Harley. And he's got two Colt single action armies in cross draw rigs, like looking like he's doc holiday and he's you know he's just got a line of like polished nickel cases around on this buscadero western rig and he, he said i guess he caught me looking because i kind of looked over at him and he walks over and says you know why i carry these and he's let me guess because i can yeah my dad says oh i'm not really concerned about it and he goes because i can and then just yep. walks off and but there again that was rural desert arizona 25 years ago too and uh yeah even in oklahoma to think about that it was like oh you know it might be a little like a little on the cuff there a little on the extreme but uh but when i was a kid you know my dad lived in a rural area and it wasn't uncommon to see people with a, a shotgun or a long gun in the in the the window of their truck at, sure. the, at the local gas station you know, it was kind of like an unwritten rule. If you had to go to the big town for something, you didn't do that. But, but there again, it was just, it was just a tool of what they did. Yeah. Open carry. Gosh, that was a, that was a 20 minute rabbit hole, man. That was awesome. Oh, what was it? Oh, the other one I was going to tell you about North Carolina. I flew back there in June of 2002 or July to do a regional IDPA match. I was a 
at that time I was in IDPA SO or RO or RSO or whatever they called it, you know, yeah. you could run stages and run matches and all that. And my buddy, Michael, that, that hosts me out there every year to teach, uh, teach my skill builder classes. He was working at the gun range. And he says, Hey man, fly out here. I'll pick you up. You can shoot the match for free. You'll RO the match for two days, which for those of you that have never been in the competition shooting circles, that's a trap. It is indeed. (laughs) Yeah. So I said, cool, man. You know, and I, I fly out there and they're like, Hey, you know, lunch is on us. We're going, we're going into McDonald's in Lumberton, North Carolina. Cool. We go out there and they're still wearing their match gear, all their carry gear. And I'm like, guys, what's the deal? And one of them looks at me and goes, I don't have a concealed carry permit. I can't hide it, but I'm perfectly okay like this. And I'm like, cool, rock on. Let's, let's throw yeah. some, throw some grub and get out of here. But yeah, I, I think, I think we've been controversial enough on this topic at this point. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, you just brought back a, a memory about, uh, you know, your dad and, and going to Arizona. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you a hilarious sight is, uh, about, 12 Harleys parked outside of a bar. Yeah. And there would be a pistol chained to the wheel. Really? Oh yeah. It was the funniest sight because it was a, it was a bar and they knew they couldn't be armed in there and they'd take off their pistol and they'd chain it through the trigger guard, you know, to their bike. And us being teenagers with, with active minds, like, no, we need right. to come back here with a set of bolt cutters one night. <laughs> Probably would have been a, Great way to get dead, but uh, yeah, open carry in Arizona was so prevalent that guys would take it off and and chain it to their bike and leave it. It was it was an oddest sight you guys used to see in it. Yeah, it 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 becomes uh, oh I can't remember what they call it, but uh, I've always said socially palatable. That's uh, for some reason I I came up with that one day, and you know somebody was using some coarse language in in. in some unknown company. And I said, you know, you might want to dial that down. I don't think that's very socially palatable in this scenario. I don't know why that little catchphrase came to me, but it did. But, uh, <laughs> nicely put. Yeah. Yeah. It, write that one down. You can put it in your, I don't take credit for it, but anywho. So, uh, Oh, what's the, uh, what do we, what, what do we think would be another, another one? Man, something I've been seeing a lot of lately is posting on social media, posting things like uh, a gunfight or or video of an officer involved shooting. And the first comment is, well, what I would have done is this, this and this from the civilian perspective. When I look at that, I kind of look at it and go, you have just put obtainable evidence out there for the whole world to see. Because if you're in that scenario by some random chance and you don't do everything you said you would do or you do it and it turns out to be unlawful, well, you've kind of expressed your pre premeditation there for the whole world to see. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. Uh, and and a, a, it's, a, it's a very, very, very timely one example because without getting into the issues, of the shooting that occurred uh, with the LAPD officer recently. Right. And there is now a lawsuit. And long story short, they're contending that because this officer was a competitive shooter, she somehow was 
just so much more likely to kill somebody. I, or I, I don't understand what their logic is, but they are using it that they uh, that this, this person um, shoots, shoots a lot, shoots competitively. So, you know, the only opinion I offer on that is based on the video that I saw, she conducted herself very professionally and leave it at that. Right. But I do see people that comment, you know, further and, you know, make issues and make points that, you know, may be near and dear to our heart. We may we may believe believe in exactly what that person posted or not. It could go either way. But either way, it's like, why put that? Why put that out there? Because what you said about premeditation, it's like saying, oh, well, you know, if a guy came up to me and he got within this distance of me with an edged weapon, I'd absolutely shoot. Well, then I, I pray that that person doesn't get into that situation in real life because that that will come back. Right. Like you, you'd already decided three years ago publicly that you were going to shoot my client. Yeah. And <laughs> and just like the example you cited, if it's out there, it can be obtained and yeah. construed into whatever you make of it. The, the one you were talking about, I mean, she's she's obviously a proficient shooter. And I, I think that's a very double-edged sword in the law enforcement yeah. community, as well as it can be in the civilian carry community. Because I think it was Scotty, Uncle Scotty, that was that was saying the more well trained you are, the more you can allow a situation to digress and still still come out victorious. It was I paraphrase that it was something to the, something to that effect. Where yeah, that that I think that that is um, I think that's a, a, a good piece of wisdom um, in that. Uh, the, the more skill you have, I think, the more latitude you have in terms of entering into something. And in my in, in my career, that 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 has that has been very helpful a, cu- a couple of different times. Yeah, um, same here. And so, see, then you know, you open your mouth and you say something publicly. But I will say that I I did get into unfortunately in my career I got into two situations that were essentially suicide by cop. And fortunately, neither one went that way. Yeah. And uh, the only reason that I can look back on was in one of them, I didn't draw at all because the guy was a sufficient distance away. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it, it, like like a laser rangefinder, my brain immediately like measured the distance, looked at the obstacles between us, measured my draw speed and what my caffeine intake was that morning, ran it through the computer in about one nanosecond. And basically in a very calm voice, I was like, Come on, man. Put that knife down. Have a seat. I'll get you some help. And he looked at me funny for about two seconds after that, and then he sat down. Yeah. And I think that if I had instantly drawn, I think that would have been the last bit of, of, of courage that he needed to, to finish off the task that he went down the road for. And I think I, I don't think it was wrong for any officer to have drawn on that guy. It was probably a good idea. But for, that, for me, at that moment, in that time and space, I, I didn't. And I think that's why... It ended well. Yeah. You got to attribute that to training. I mean, if you, if you didn't have that, uh, that confidence knowing that, that you were okay and and you knew exactly where that, that digression point was going to be, there's no telling how that incident would have, well, would have came out. You know, speaking to what you said about it being a double-edged sword, sometimes as you know, it happens with me, I, I get half a thought out. So that's the one half of it. And so on the one hand, I see that the tremendous advantage it gave me, uh, the double-edged sword part is clearly uh, people can bring it up and go, 
So obviously this is a person that really likes to shoot, really likes firearms. Yeah. Can be quickly turned into an obsession or something silly like that that uh, you, you'll have to answer for in the future. So yeah, it's a double-edged sword, all right. Yeah. Having said that it's a double-edged sword, I, I'm going to go ahead and guess what your opinion is. Do we wish that more of our brothers and sisters shot and shot competitively? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is a double-edged sword. I, I'd, I'd much, I'd much rather take that that second risk than the first. No. Yeah, training uh, for me. I, I'll, I'll give a quick scenario. We had a basically a suicide by cop that was about to happen, and uh, me and a, a veteran officer that we had worked together and I hadn't seen him in three or four years. And, and the call comes out and I got on the radio and I would just been issued a rifle because the firearms instructors, we got priority on rifles when they first approved them here. It's like my first week carrying a rifle and I get on the radio and I said, Hey, do they have somebody, a rifle operator up there? And they're like, no, they're, they're, they're calling for one, which, yeah, you know how that is when, when, when they're not there and the officers on the scene are asking for one, that's when things are the brown stuff's about to hit the spinny thing on the ceiling. Yeah. Yep. And so I get there and I have a little like nonverbal communication with the officer that's that's negotiating with this individual and he has a gun in his mouth. The bad guy or not bad guy. Yeah. Suicidal suspect did. Yeah. And I showed up with the rifle and he the officer on the scene looks at me out of the corner of his eye and kind of gives me like, like that. Okay. You're here. I know your ability. And he holsters his gun up and the guy immediately starts having a better rapport with him. Yeah. And little did he know that I was over in the shadows and absolutely. And anyway, this, the situation unfolded after about an hour of, of, of this, this veteran officer talking to him and me covering this guy, the situation was resolved and we got the guy to the, the, the proper channels, et cetera. And it's funny you mentioned that because about a week ago that I, I ran into this, this officer again, and he comes up to me and said, you'll never guess who I met the other night at dinner. And I said, who? And he goes, do you remember the guy in the parking lot that had oh, the gun no. in his mouth? I said, yeah. He said, I didn't recognize him. He was, he was managing some local store and he walked up and like says, Hey, you know, officer so-and-so and shakes my hand. And he goes like, I'm like, hi, do I, do I know you? And he says, yeah, man, you saved my life. You and that other guy saved my life and blah, blah, blah. So it was, that was one of those success stories that played out over like yeah. 10 years, you know? Yeah. But I, I, I really think had, had that situation not I, I I had that feeling like had he not been able to holster his gun and and be behind yeah. cover. I mean, he was safely behind cover and everything, but I think that was kind of the the trigger point. Pardon the pun that that really changed the dynamic of the conversation when the guy right. realized, and, hey, this guy's not going to shoot me for me. So yeah, uh, and 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 overword. Uh, overused word in 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 our profession right now is de-escalation and yeah. what de-escalation means and and so on and when it's appropriate right but that's a case of you know in microcosm that was a de-escalation and that was all the de-escalation that was needed it, it um, was and and i think one thing that the civilian community i, I don't think they get a first 
a first row seat at that a lot of law enforcement officers do is your seasoned veteran coming up on a pension 15 to 18 year cop that's a that that's well trained stays stays reasonably fit stays on top of policies and procedures and training doctrines and things like that you develop that over time most of us do to some extent where we go we we play the risk versus reward thing really well like yeah. is is the juice worth the squeeze if i kick that door or do we set back here and and because we're on the clock we don't have to kick that door let's set out here and let's figure out how we can how we can manage this situation effectively and i, I think it was tom givens who taught me the phrase many many moons ago that good judgment comes from experience experience comes from a lot of bad judgment yeah <laughs> and that's how we learn as we go as we go on you know that's that, that's not a good idea I've, I've done, i did that once before it, it didn't work good. out and and <laughs> there's so many near misses in law enforcement and i think that's kind of the pressure cooker that technique tactics sops that they're rooted in the uh the, a lot of the civilian gun carrying community they don't get to experience that. And that's nothing that's not a that's not a knock at them. That's not a you know, a slight to, to the gun carrying populace. That's just the nature of, of Yeah, what it's, we do. it's the na- it's the nature of it. And 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 you know, the flip side of that, which I think neither one of us have a problem with non law enforcement carrying guns. Uh, no. God knows I don't. I, I carried a gun for at least six years before I pinned on a badge. So hey well, that's it, how I started. And, and not too many years in front of me, I'll be that again. Yeah. So I, I have no problem with it. But when people used to ask me and say, look, um, don't you think that, that people should uh, face the same uh, training that law enforcement has to do in order to carry a, a firearm? And I'd say, no. I go, well, why not? I go, well, because they don't have to go enforce the law. Right. They have to know the law in terms of protecting them, themselves and the people around them that they're responsible for, and even that's a, a certain kind of judgment call. But they they, they don't have to learn a, a bunch of things because it's it's just not relevant to them. So no, I, I don't think that they should have uh, have to go through. Now, hey, I, I'm a fan of them taking as much training as as, as they can afford, right? Assuming it's good. But um, it's like comparing us to, uh, uh, you know, an elite unit in the military. You and I have both shot with some of the best military and ex-military firearm people in the world. And, you know, on a good day, we shoot as well as they do or close to it on a good day. Right. At at no time did I have uh, visions of grandeur and go, huh, that could have been Delta. Yeah. Uh, No. (laughs) I can't run to save my life, and I, I fear heights. I could never have jumped out of an airplane. How you did it, I'll never know. But that's a, a ton of things that I don't put onto onto that equation. Go, well, I shot as good as this guy that came from this unit, or that guy that came from that unit, because they learned a hundred other tasks that I'm never going to know. And the same thing that goes with civilian um, carriers of firearms and, and, and law enforcement. It's just two different dishes, so yeah. to speak. Well, if you've ever wondered the whole reason I jumped out of planes and this is going to sound like a total, like, (laughs) I don't even know how this is going to sound like a total farce, but maroon berets and jump boots. 
I saw that uniform one time when I was a kid and I was like, I want to do that. What do those guys do? <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and it paid $150 a month. And when I started in 1998, that bought me, uh, well in 2000, when I started shooting competitively, 90 of that $150 a month bought me basically a thousand rounds of ammo a month. Yeah. Yeah. Just relo- Back when, uh, CCI blazer, 115 yeah. grain when it was actually very good quality ammo back then mm-hmm. and if you shopped hard you could find it at academy for 389 a box yeah <laughs> i can remember the days of, of buying certain brands of ammo at walmart handing a hundred dollar bill across the counter and getting a thousand rounds and change back yep. <laughs> but uh but no i i that was a that was a part of my life I really I've grown to appreciate later. When I was there, I was like, "Golly, this oh man, police work has had its own set of challenges." But uh, when I was a kid, I was deathly afraid of heights, and I think I said this on Rob Beckman's podcast or something when he was interviewing me on Firearms Trainers podcast, and he's like, "Wow, yeah, you were a paratrooper," and I was like, "You know, I didn't do anything special forces or or." any of that but it allowed me to get into the competition shooting circles with those guys and see how they ran guns certain guns anyway but that was one of the big benefits of being there but he was like well man what possessed you to jump out of planes i said the uniform looked cool hey, <laughs> like, don't, don't go bad about it that's that, that that's uh there's a reason why the uniforms look cool yeah, there's an allure to that, and I think uh, I think the military's marketing on that has been really good. Indeed, I mean it's just like uh, it's just like when you uh, you know when law enforcement does like you know sets up a booth at a hiring expo, or they're going to send some sharp looking officers. Yeah, and that's yeah. part of it. Uh, you know. Yeah, I mean we were it, all we were, we were all young ones. Exactly, but but that was that was a fun time in my life, and it, it opened a lot of doors later on. But but yeah, that that's a uh, Man, we again. That was about a twenty-minute rabbit hole on you hey, know, these hey, social uh, media the, posts and stuff. The, the only thing I'm a subject matter expert on is rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> I can't bring anything to a conclusion, but I have a lot of uh, I won't say opinions, strong feelings and uh, and experiences. So the uh, the last topic that we talked about, and uh, I think this one will take us home. Uh, yeah. we, we were talking about. When you're out in and amongst the public in a uniform, it it seems to be to me an overwhelming number or a skewed number of concealed carriers versus just people in and amongst the population tend to have questions on deadly force that they want to find their local cop at the coffee shop and have a, a hypothetical conversation about deadly force with. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And that is one thing that it used to really irritate me, but ever since I found like, you know, legal heat and concealed carry.com and CCW safes information, I just refer them to websites and go, yeah. Hey, I, I'm not the guy to ask. Cause I, I'm not going to be the guy to give you legal advice and then find out you went and you know, shot your neighbor's dog or something. That, that's just not our role in society to guide you on what you think you can do. And and I, I don't find it as irritating anymore, but it seems to be something that I wish concealed carriers would kind of stop is, is coming up to your local cop and going, 
well, if my neighbor gets mad at me and walks up to my door at three in the morning, am I okay? And this is completely hypothetical. Disclaimer. Yeah, sure, sure. Am I okay to shoot through the door if I feel like my life's in danger? And I'm like, and- dude, did you roll out of bed this morning waiting to ask that question and you just found me? I, I mean, I hate to be rude, but but that's something I think as concealed carriers, if you're doing that, just stop. Stop in a simple Google search of of any criminal defense attorney, you know, prosecutors, your local district attorney, you know, and I threw out ccwsafe.com concealedcarry.com, Legal Heat, some other ones. There's a lot yeah, of good they, resources out there. They're putting out a lot of very good information, and no, you know, and and we know, we know, we know lots. We know several people who, you know, write about stuff like that. Uh, Steve Moses does that regularly. Yeah, uh, our our uh, was a mutual friend, and and uh, 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 Greg Alfred, a, a fountain of knowledge on a hundred things that <laughs> he amazes me. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and they, they 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 will put out something specific, an article, you know, ex- addressing a particular thing, and it's well thought out. And it's like, okay, that that I'm putting that out there, and there's a lot of that out there from from good sources. Th- that's what I'm doing too now is is basically saying th- these are some places to look. Uh, we talked about it earlier. The the only thing that I used to do, and I haven't been asked in a long time because I, I'm I, I'm full time at the academy, so I, I you know people don't see me in uniform to, to to ask me these questions. So it hasn't happened in years. What yeah. I used to say, well, this particular statute says this, and this other related statute says this. So I would keep those two things in mind, and that's that's about all I could possibly tell you at the moment. And that's what I used to say um, yeah. because I, I I really did want out of the conversation in microcosm. It's the classic, hey. You know, about five months ago, I was driving in Sacramento, and I got pulled over, and I got ticketed. And then they tell you about it and ask your opinion. And it's like, I have no idea what the traffic code is in California. I have no—it's it, 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 it's essentially a version of that. And, and they, they want our opinion. And I don't want to ridicule them in any way. It's just that it's not something that we can comment on. Right. Because there's too many variables. And there's a, 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 a great gentleman— I'll even say his name. His name was, uh, was Walter Wechter. He was a surgeon here. And uh, he's a, uh, uh, a spouse of a, a great friend of mine. That, and, and he was a surgeon. And I somehow brought this up one day in a conversation where I said something about, you know, people ask me these questions. And he just looked at me and went, oh, you think you have it bad? <laughs> Do you know what it's like when people find out you're a surgeon? You know, they're presenting, you know, people will ask me stuff like so. You know, my brother-in-law had this happen and that happened. So do you think you should do a bypass or do you think you should get a stint? <laughs> I think you should talk to your doctor about that. Right. Dude. And he would just look at them like, yeah. I got nothing for you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, and so that, that always makes me laugh when I think about Walter saying that, you know, and that's essentially what we got, what we get. Yeah. For me, it's, it's not as obnoxious as it once was when I was, you know, when I was younger, yeah. I, I try to at least give people some resources and I'm like, Hey, if you're really feeling this strongly about it, you, you probably should call a, a you know a, a district attorney's office. Maybe get a maybe get an opinion on that from an assistant district attorney, and then maybe look at what the penalty is for violating that. Which you know we we act in the realm of statute, and we're empowered by our our agency and our our chief of police to go enforce the law. We're yeah. not there 
for you to get legal advice from. We go there and go, this violates this statute or it doesn't. So yeah. <laughs> interpretation is, is, uh, and, and in, addition to, in addition to, uh, you know, good resources that are available online, there are, there are training courses that you can attend as, as a non-law enforcement and non-attorney that address issues like that. Now, there aren't very many of them. No, I, at TACCON, I, I sat through uh, William April's, yep. one of his briefings. Sure. Where, you know, he dove off into criminal psyche and, you know, victim selection and criminal behavior and stuff like that. But he also took apart several self-defense shootings that ended up in murder convictions. Yeah. Uh, one of which I happened to have some involvement with and he really summed it up marvelously and that was an that was one of the closest things i really feel like that in a briefing that anyone could attend could really get a good idea of of some of those hypothetical situations there again like you said steve our, our buddy steve moses and greg elifritz and uh, william april a lot of those guys put out content yeah. where they they kind of peel the layers back on some of these some of these cases that have, have gone to court either successfully or resulted in a conviction, they peel the layers back into, okay, at this point, this is what statute was, was applicable here, you know? And, and I don't think most cops, none, one, they're not going to, they're not going to come out and give you permission to fire your gun. If it's not at a gun range or in a training class, uh, and, and two, they're never going to be the one to bless you off on yeah. on the taking the life of another human being hypothetically. Yeah, and and, and we both realize that they're they're not acting, but that that that's almost the way we have to view it. Right. So that's not their intention. It does put us in the permission that uh, the position that we feel like we, we are giving permission or not giving permission, and the world is too complicated for that. I mean, literally, outside of the fact that you know you know, you want to do CYA and you don't want to give people bad advice and you don't want right. to come back on you and all those, all those things that, that are, we do to protect ourselves. But, but really beyond that, it, it, it's that we, we just don't feel comfortable doing it because there's just too many variables. There is. And, and I, I try to lead off most of those conversations with, you know, my role as a, as a policeman, the preservation of human life is paramount to all else yeah. because, what Supreme Court ruling were, was it where they, they ruled that the employment of deadly force is the ultimate seizure? That, yes. that came yes. out, in, and I, I wish I could quote the case, but that's that's literally the ultimate seizure. And yeah. with that, to to enact that comes with a, a, a huge criteria of circumstance. And that's not something your, your friendly local policeman grabbing a cup of coffee in between you know, running call to call to call, uh, is going to, that's, that's not a conversation they're going to want to have with you one. And two, I don't know as many of them like you and I, that, that have the, the notebook full of resources that we could go, Hey, I'm not the guy to ask. Here's, here's a couple of good websites to check out. Probably the yeah. bulk of them out there are going to go, buddy, I got to go deal with a, a call. Sorry. I don't have time for you. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I think that, man, Man, we went a lot of places. We did. Since I, you know me, I can't help myself. We we said we'd do three. 
And but I'm still going to do the bonus one, which has nothing to do with concealed carry. But but this is a bonus to, to, to the world at large. OK. When you see us in uniform. Oh, wait, please, you, you don't point us out and say to your child. Now, you mind me or else that policeman's going to take you to jail. <sighs> so, again, I throw that one in as a bonus because that used to so upset me. And yes, I realize it has uh, uh, nothing to do with the concealed carry world, but I'm just going to go ahead and vent that one as to things that people uh, discuss with or say to law enforcement. And I've had it happen a hundred times, and it always upset me. Yeah. Because, you know, that, that, that young person needs to grow up to believe that we can be trusted and to come to us in a time of danger or harm. And we are not a parenting tool at the mall. I got to where I would just, whenever that happened and I would hear it, I would just turn around. I would smile at the child and go, no, I won't. <laughs> and I would just walk away. Yeah. I had, uh, I had, I've had two partners over the years that, you know, I let the, I, I did my best to let that one roll off. And one was a, a, a female officer that had kids and yeah. she and I used to have coffee once a week or so. And somebody said that, now you behave or I'm going to have that officer right there, take you away. And she walks over to this lady and sets her coffee down at the table, looks at this kid, and she goes into kind of like parenting mode, which I don't have any kids of my own, so (laughs) I'm a little unfamiliar with that territory. But uh, she looks at her and goes, ma'am, if your kid's ever lost or hurt or scared because something's happened, I certainly hope that they'll look to me for help. And just walks off. And I went, you talk about the ultimate mic drop. Right. And I went, oh. That was brilliant. And I said, uh, and this lady kind of looked down and she goes, I'm just kidding, honey. And, you know, pats her kid on the head and says, you know, look, these are nice police officers. And she sat down and I was like, wow. And she goes, yeah, I don't like that. I was like, oh, okay. And then I had another officer who was days from retirement that somebody walked up and said that with their kids. And he goes, sir, oh no, I am not your agent of wrath. If you need advice on disciplining your kids, Dr. Spock wrote a book in 1979 about it. Have a good day and walks off. And I went, well, here comes the complaint, but I didn't say it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but man, and I appreciate you say, throwing you can, that one. You, you can say or do anything you want on your last day. <laughs> <laughs> and he took full advantage of that when I was yep. like, well, oh, he's not wrong. But yeah, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you uh, coming back on. I think we're going to do probably at least two more before uh, before I rotate like guest hosts uh, to give you a break because you know we 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 do a lot of mental heavy lifting. You and I when we we come through these uh, these podcasts, so especially at my IQ level, it's a strain, man. <laughs> I'm going to, I got the music queued up. Um, let's see. This is the, uh, man, you made me lose my train of thought with that one, but thanks for <laughs> tuning in to the off duty on duty podcast. I'm Brian Eastridge, the co-host for this episode, Hanny Mahmood. Thanks again, Hanny. And, uh, thanks to the concealed network for carrying the podcast. The Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC.